everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I got to talk to Reverend Teddy Ray, Asbury Seminary alum, co-owner of North Lime Donuts, and lead pastor of the Offerings Community of First United Methodist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. You may recall that Teddy Ray joined the podcast for episode seven to talk about finding calling within community and gave us ways to delight in our one ordinary life. We'll link it in the show notes so you can go back and listen if you'd like. Teddy Ray has pastored offerings for the past 20 years, but in early 2020 felt a restlessness like never before and sensed that the season of pastoring might be coming to an end. In today's conversation, we talk about how he discovered his next right thing, studying to become a lawyer at Yale Law School. Let's listen. Teddy Ray, I am so excited to have you back on the podcast today. It's so good to see you in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to see anybody in person. Really, right. it's it's something that I think we won't take for granted anymore. At least for at least this generation that was living during this time will probably not do that again. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've I've wondered how quickly we end up right back to taking old things for granted and, yeah. and wanted to hold on to some of the recognizing the things that are special. Um, right, right. I agree with you because it's real easy to forget because in some ways life becomes like the new cycle. And so what was important yesterday mm-hmm. kind of loses its importance today. So it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out. But I'm excited to have you back on the show. You were here in, I think, episode seven. You were one of our very first guests. So it's Really an honor to have yeah. you back. So how just how's your family been during this whole year? Uh, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So we have had some of the the greatest like things that we're gonna look back on, and we talk about this with the kids. We're gonna look back at this year as really special in uh, in some important ways. Right before it, so fall before pandemic hit. I, I had hit a breaking point with our schedule. I was actually telling Emily, my wife, I was like, I don't, I don't even know what changes or how it changes, but something has to change because we were at like one, maybe two nights a week of dinner around the table, all six of us. Wow. And I was just saying, this is, I'm not okay with this. It has to change. And then we immediately went to seven nights a week. Right. And I was like, I, I didn't really, like, could we average these two out? <laughs> I'd be really good with four yeah. or five. Yeah. Uh, but the the amount of time that we spent as family together, um, we actually, last summer, we are like, almost all of my work had gone virtual mm-hmm. uh, and just drastic change. Uh, we ended up taking this road trip. Uh, we, we drove to California and back and we were nice. like, look, we're going to be confined to four walls, just the six of us somewhere. Why don't we make it the four walls of our car and drive all the way out? Almost everything we want to see is outdoors and right. safer. Yeah. And so we, we had this, it was over three weeks road trip out to California and back. That was just incredible. Yeah. And so lots of good things like that at the same time. Um, I think it's been the hardest year ever for our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that just when they got 
pushed into school online and our middle schoolers there they don't even have video on the on school on wow. zoom and so here they sit my our eighth grader said one day, my social life right now is staring at my friend's screen, uh, friend's names on screen all day. That's, that's my social outlet. And no so it's, um, that's been awful for them. Yeah. Um, and so glad that here, like, right at the end of the year, they did get to go back uh, and see people in real life. And especially important for us, we'll talk about it in a bit, but with our move and yeah. them knowing this is some last occasions to to see friends Uh, it's been really nice for them to see them again yeah nice to have that in person definitely nicer than staring at blank screens with just names on it yeah i think we've we discounted how hard it was on the kids at first like it we still had agency we could go out if we wanted to and we didn't all that often but even like going to the grocery and emily still went to work Mm -hmm. and so we still got to go places and see people and that just pretty much shut down entirely for them and they had no agency in it. And uh, I think that's, uh, we're thinking through how we care for them well now coming out of this. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Cause I, I don't, we don't have kids. So I hadn't thought about how it was affecting kids differently. Like as a parent, like how, how are you helping to care for your kids? Things that maybe aren't wildly different than, than other times or Mm -hmm. shouldn't be. But so I just sent them all messages last week with the top 10 breakfast and brunch places in Lexington. And I said, do your research, pick a spot, and I'm going to take you to one of these. Oh, nice. And just now that they can go out and Uh go have breakfast somewhere, uh, to take them somewhere and have just one-on-one time and give them that space to share. And also now, um, We've been talking about them each planning their own party, a big swim party at our house, mm-hmm. invite whoever you want to, just ways for them to have big social engagement after so long with them. Right. I think that's super important. I think um, I think there hopefully will be a lot of parties this fall. I've heard families talking yeah. about we want to make up for like Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, a whole year of not being able to be together in the same way. No doubt. So. Yeah. How did, you said um, for the summer you spent, you were working from home. How did pastoring change for you during that time? I mean, obviously Uh, you went home, churches were closed for a while, but how did like pastoring people change or did Uh, it? Oh my gosh, it changed. Everything about it changed, nearly everything. And I would say it was miserable personally, (laughs) Yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And also that I didn't do it very well. And I've, I, if, if I had a second pandemic to pastor through, I think I would do it a bit differently. Oh, please. No, um, please do not. No. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I wouldn't look forward to that opportunity. Yeah. But so here's the biggest thing I recognized in all of it. Mm-hmm. Sunday morning is so valuable, especially in a smaller church as a pastor, because I have, I don't know, 30 or 40, 30 second conversations on a Sunday morning. And those are mostly superficial, but I know what's happening in people's lives. I identify from those, the five or six people that I go, Hey, we should get together and talk more about that. Mm -hmm. Or I need to follow up with this person during the week about that. It's just, it's a natural touch point Mm 
mm-hmm. with so many people. It's also a natural touch point in that I haven't seen this person for three weeks. I need to call them. And instead I went to, I didn't see anyone ever. And, um, I found no adequate replacement for all of those 30 second conversations. Mm-hmm. You can send a text message, you can have a phone call or a Zoom call or an email, but they're uh, they're less effective and and less efficient. Like there's no 30 second phone call, right? No. Um, and it, where it's just natural to walk up, talk to somebody for 30 seconds, and then talk to someone else. Um, there's no natural way of doing that with the phone call. The text message is just far less effective. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just, and and this is where I say, I also, if I could do it differently, I I would do it again differently. Mm -hmm. Um, in that I just lost touch with a lot of people and really ended up hyper-focused on the, the people who needed attention. Right. Where, and, and that's kind of how it always is though, like during normal times, get to talk to a lot of people and identify the ones who really need attention and focus it there. But during this, the, the people who didn't need attention, they kind of just disappear and you send an occasional message or make a phone call. And I wish I would have done more than that. Um, I, yeah, I wish I would have done more than that. It's yeah. difficult. Um, yeah, but it was a learning time everybody like we all just got thrown into this there was no ramp up to learning how to maintain communication when we couldn't see see people and and it really goes i mean it goes to everything so you can still have a meeting on zoom and actually it's more efficient nobody has to get in the car nobody has to drive anywhere uh our meetings were much shorter but but i think part of the reason is that you lose so much of the human element and like for instance recognizing how much of the value of a meeting is the five minutes before the meeting when you're in conversation with one person Mm -hmm. and when you walk away from the meeting at the end and you talk to one person or or three of you sit around for a while and talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even like sometimes in the middle of it, you end up still having a a short sidebar and all of that on zoom, there is one conversation. There are no sidebar conversations. I mean, you can kind of do the awkward before meeting chit chat or after meeting chit chat, but it's awkward. And there's a reason it's not natural to have (laughs) conversations that way. And so for us, like this was for me, pastoral ministry and just life in general, the strong relationships got stronger because I mean, you probably had the same, Mm -hmm. you had friends that you zoomed with and like that you actually saw more over this past year than you ever would before. Or you talked to more. Yes. My group got tight and got smaller and tighter, but much smaller. Yes. I, I think that's most of us mm-hmm. like you get this small tight group and then everybody else disappears mm-hmm. because there are, you know, there are the 80 people who I'm going to talk to and enjoy when I see them, but we're not going to schedule a zoom call on Friday night. You know? right. And there's only so much zooming you can do. Oh my gosh. Well, and, th- and that's the other thing I think for a lot of us, my, I realized that my work had been divided up into computer work and people work. Mm-hmm. And I loved that balance, like go do research, writing, administrative work on the computer, Mm -hmm. and then go sit across from a person. And when the people work also turned into staring at a screen Mm -hmm. and just everything you do is staring at a screen all day, that that's, I don't think that's 
healthy for any human being. No, no, I, I agree. So I'm grateful that things are starting to change right. and we can start and see more people more often. Um, the last time we chatted, we talked a lot about calling in, I believe it was episode seven. I'll double check that and link it in the show notes. <laughs> but um, we talked about calling and your calling to be a pastor as something that you identified as right and good, but also as your calling too. But there was a time that you thought it was right and good and then you knew it was your calling. And I believe, yeah. if I'm right, the last time we talked, you kind of expected to be doing this for the rest of your life. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that has that has shifted in the past, I think, starting late 2019. And now you're, you've made this big, it seems like a big transition yeah. to go study law at Yale. So what kind of started this uh, transition process for you? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. If you had told me, if you had told me uh, late 2019 that I would be doing this, I would have said that's nuts. And <laughs> I, I don't understand where that's even coming from. Yeah, I, um, our assistant pastor says I always, I always assumed we'd bury you in the playground. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you were here until you died, and I assumed the same. Um, I, I hear a lot of people talk about. Don't go, don't, don't leave something until you know where you're going. Um, like more of a calling to than a leaving. And, and that was not at all my experience. I think when I talked to you in episode seven, if that's what it was <laughs> about, about that calling moment, it was, we were in Spain. It was back in 2014 that's right. And we were going to have a different conversation right. last year because you were going back to Spain. Yeah. 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 So we were supposed to be going back to Spain and I have no idea. I, I'm nearly certain that what we're doing now isn't what we would be doing now had mm -hmm. we been in Spain. And so it's, it's just wild the way that yeah. events change uh, everything. But so we were in Spain and had talked to people about coming back to first church and back to offerings. And I had actually said no twice and really thought it just was not the path. And then, um, I, I could not get right with that. Uh -huh. Um, lost my appetite, wasn't able to sleep. Um, people around me, my, especially Emily and, and even my parents going like, why did you say no? Are you sure? Uh -huh. And, um, ended up going, you know, maybe this was not my decision. Anyways, all of that to say, I, I use that on the front end to say it's maybe most similar to how I ended up back starting last January, February. It was actually pre-pandemic, and I'm really grateful for that because I just told you that ministry during pandemic was miserable. Yeah. Um, and so I think if I hadn't started feeling that way until pandemic, it... I would have had to wonder, like, is it just because I'm miserable in ministry right now? <laughs> right, right. But it actually came in January and February when I was very happy. Mm -hmm. um, we were planning to go to Spain. We had already, and that had been a more agonizing process because I didn't really want to leave. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we, we really agonized over it. And I particularly, one of the big cons was things are really good right now. And I'm, I'm scared of leaving and missing out on how good this all is. Yeah. Um, 
but we had already made the decision. We're going to go. We, but like, it was really kind of more of a feeling of, uh, of faithfulness than like desire, strangely enough. Um, but then January, February, I ended up feeling as close to how I felt 2014 in Spain as I've ever felt just this terrible restlessness, unable to sleep as emotional as I've ever been in my life. Like, um, and you're not emotional. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you're correct. <laughs> um, so I don't think my wife saw me cry for the first five years of our uh, uh, of our marriage, uh, which wasn't because I was withholding anything. Yeah. I just didn't have the emotion overcome me. Yeah. Um, I was crying like daily and couldn't even give full expression to why. And just telling her things are not all right. Like, I'm a, th- th- this is the weird, it's hard for me to explain. Maybe somebody who is more emotional could, <laughs> could distinguish all this better, but life was good. Mm-hmm. But I just had this deep sense that things were not all right. Yeah. Um, and I, couldn't quite put your finger on it yeah, at that point. I did. Uh, we at least began having the conversations where I was saying, you know, I'm supposed to come back to first church on the other side of Spain. We've already, mm-hmm. we've already worked that out. We had worked mm-hmm. it out that time that we were coming back. I had a, a one year interim away. And, um, and I started saying, I'm not sure that I'm actually coming back to this. And that did bring a decent bit of the emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The grief of, of yeah. leaving a place yeah. that you've been for quite some time. Well, and in this case, so first church is my home church. Yeah. So it's the grief of leaving a place that actually it's my whole life. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, if I ever tried to write autobiographically about my life, I, I think first church would be on 60% of the pages. Yeah, it is, sure. my, it is my life. Um, and offerings, uh, this community that I've been with since the beginning and, and, so much of I, I've offerings and pastoral ministry have have been identity in a way that I've wondered. Mm. I don't know. I, I should probably I should probably talk to somebody a bit more about where is this healthy and where is it unhealthy. I don't mm-hmm. entirely regret it or have a problem with saying no. This has been a big piece of who I am, yes. my identity. And so even then, it felt like it was perhaps threatened. And I didn't even, I, I couldn't give expression to why. Yeah. Um, pandemic hit. And so we made the decision before the decision was going to be made for us that we're not going to go to Spain now. Right. And, uh, and that brought plenty of its own grief um, because we do, we just love, we love the people there yeah. and we wanted to be with them. But it also brought for me some relief about, okay, I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. And any of that that I was feeling, it's it's gone. Yeah. So did you kind of set the whole leaving thing aside at that point, and then just oh yeah, then we're like I'm pastoring and that's what I'm doing, and this this whole feeling was kind of a fluke. Is that yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. like I don't know what that was, but yeah. here we go. Yeah. And then it really I don't know maybe maybe around July, um, it it came back and mm-hmm. just hit pretty hard this sense of. I think maybe it could be time to move on. Mm-hmm. And so, but I had no idea what I would do with 
my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, lawyering wasn't like... <laughs> no. Okay, it wasn't no. a thought, really. No, so, I mean, the, as we said earlier, this is the only thing I ever thought I would do. Mm-hmm. And so I actually began... Um, well, th- no, this came a bit later. I, I think... I started coming to terms with the possibility of not being in ministry mm-hmm. beginning in July or August. And that, mm-hmm. that actually took several months of continuing to come to terms with, and I was not sure about it until late January even, mm-hmm. but, um, it was in November that I started going, I got to figure out what in the world would I do? Yes. And, um, so I had conversations with friends who were in Finance, healthcare finance. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm involved with North Lime Coffee mm-hmm. and Donuts, and so I had some conversation about like, would I? I've always enjoyed that not being my job. Yes. And going, maybe it could be job, and uh, and I'm taking career assessments. Like, mm-hmm. did you take any of these in college? Yes. So I had read somewhere if you might be making a mid career change, you should really take. Um, or a, a midlife career change, I should say, you should really take a career assessment mm-hmm. because you probably haven't taken one since you were 20 and you're a different person now. For sure, then. for sure. Yeah. And so on my 40th birthday, um, we're driving back from a, from a trip that my wife had planned for it. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat taking career service. And over and over and over, legal work keeps popping up. Um and so here's the thing. I think for a few years, maybe it had um, found a place deep in, in my subconscious mm-hmm. um, to, to illustrate. Um, this summer, that last summer, I, uh, I had started reading Supreme Court opinions and dissent, the dissenting opinions, the majority opinions, like all the way through as they were coming out, just fascinated by all of it. Wow. And I, still with no, no thought of going into the law, just, oh, this just is you were interested. fascinating. Yeah. The way that, I mean, you would, you would watch ESPN, but not <laughs> think that you're going to go into the sports world right. because it's just greatly interesting. Um, and I also, especially through North Lyme have just gotten exposed to a lot of people who are serving in the government mm-hmm. in city and state level government and, um, was fascinated by the work they're doing and recognizing the importance of what they do. I think we've all seen this over the last year, especially the government, they create the ecosystem that we all live within. They make crucial decisions for what kind of resources people have access to, mm-hmm. what kind of resources children have access to, mm-hmm. um, whether people get evicted or how they get evicted. Mm-hmm. I mean, just on and on and on and recognizing all of the the ecosystem created by this. And so then it comes around then that I started saying, I think that's a world that I'd love to be able to participate in more directly. Yeah. Yeah, We talked about that you are not an emotional person. So when you make decisions, um, you make them based on facts and spreadsheets and (laughs) things like that. But this one and the one that you talked about in 2014, coming back from Spain was more of a like emotional sense of knowing. So is that right? Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't know. I, 
I don't want to call it emotional. Right. But so emotional it, yeah, sounds I mean, trivial, but it's like yeah. a sense of knowing on the inside. So what I'm trying to ask is when did that sense of knowing become like fact for you? Oh, wow. What a question. <laughs> so you're saying like, when did it go from, huh, that's interesting to yeah. yes. Yes. This is what I'm, this is what, this is my next right and good thing. So in December mm-hmm. of, 2020. Uh, of 2020, yeah, December of 2020, um, I had, I had been, uh, rallying people to do a 10 day fast for the UMC general conference that was mm-hmm. supposed to take place last year. Mm-hmm. General conference gets canceled. It's in May pandemic. And I was like, I am not doing a 10 day fast right now. So I canceled it. I'm coming to the end of the year and I was going, I may be headed toward one of the very most consequential decisions in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to engage in this fast. And so just went ahead with the 10 day fast in December. Um, and I would not say that I finished that and said, okay, this is it. We're Mm -hmm. sure now. But that was a, a major moment of going, okay, this is really serious and I'm going to come to it with a sort of spiritual seriousness mm-hmm. and personal, like sacrificial, whatever seriousness. Mm-hmm. And then really the last step was just praying through and saying that the moment that feels like moment of no return is when I go to my boss Todd at first church and Mm -hmm. say, Hey, I think I need to leave. Um, which is that, can I be certain enough to say, I don't think this is my long-term future. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was really setting that meeting with him. That was the clarifying final. Okay. We can say this now. And I, I set that with him. I think the same week, if I remember correctly, that I took the GRE, um, mm-hmm. you can now take GRE instead of LSAT, uh, which I'd already been prepping for. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. So anyways, that, that just to say had not, I mean, I, I didn't know yet if I was getting in anywhere or mm-hmm. if it was going to happen, so but I knew well enough it was time to go ahead and name yeah. moving on. So it's kind of a step of faith because you knew that next step was happening. You just weren't sure where you know where exactly like which school yeah well or if it's any school and i really i mean i considered it more a a step of fidelity i think there are some things you can keep doing Mm -hmm. just to cover over until you figure out what's next i don't think pastoral ministry should be one of those yeah i think i i feel like you need to be in and know that you're in all the way Mm -hmm. to be doing it and once that doesn't seem like it. You need to be moving out as quickly as it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. One of the things we talked about before is the role that community plays in our lives as it relates to calling. So, what was your community telling you during this time? This was a a decision that involved a very small group of people that um, I felt like it needed to. Um, I have a a good friend in Florida who's kind of, I mean, for gosh, um, nearly 20 years now Mm, 
has been my, hey, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to somebody about church things. And I need to be able to do that with the safety of someone who's well outside it. Right, right, for sure. And he knows me well. Um, and so a lot with him um, and with my wife mm-hmm. and some with my parents and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for like community giving input. You know, I, I told our my boss and... Todd, my boss, is also, I mean, we've been in this together for nearly 20 years and is um, a dear friend and mentor. Um, And so I had, I had told him last fall, I don't, I don't know Mm -hmm. that, that I'm going to keep going this direction, Um, but didn't otherwise have any other conversations at the church. So... Um, it was that group mm-hmm. and a really interesting, with my wife especially, mm-hmm. I remember the day I came downstairs and said, hey, if I got into one of these schools, would we even consider going? Yeah. And it was like the, I'm not going to bother to go through application and everything if you say no. Yeah. Or yeah. there's like a 10% chance. And she said, if you get into one of those schools, we go. That's it. I said, I'm she's not, the best. I'm not ready for that. Don't, don't tell me <laughs> right, that. I just I want, want to know there's a chance. Right. I wanted you to say, well, I'll think about it. Right. And then even later, I, uh, I came back to her and I said, you told me that you'll go, but, um, I don't think I ever really pressed you on, is this something you want mm, yeah. or is this just something you're willing to support me in? Mm-hmm. And she said, if you came to me tomorrow and said, you know, I got this all wrong. I want to stay in pastoral ministry and stay in Kentucky. She said, I'm in, I'm in. And she said, if you come tomorrow and tell me you get accepted, you got accepted at one of these places and you think we should go. I'm in. She said, That's amazing. just I am in and I will talk with you through the things I see in you mm-hmm. and the possibilities I see in you. But she said, this isn't me just being supportive. Mm-hmm. It's me saying, I'm going to be excited about the directions we go if we think it's God's leading. Yeah. That's what a it. gift. What a yeah. gift that is. Yes. I really liked, you talked about this a little bit on your blog. I like the part when you were taking your career assessments on the phone. And I, I don't think it was that conversation, but maybe a little bit later when you were like, if I wasn't like... 40, yeah. I would go back to school. And I really liked how you said that, that Emily notified you that it wasn't too late. <laughs> yeah. And actually, yeah, that's where I, I said something about law not coming until November. I had probably by June, July, I had started saying, ah, if I were 10 years younger, mm-hmm. I think I'd go to law school. Yeah. But it was never serious because it was like, hey, I missed that. Mm-hmm. That was so for, what is it? yeah, yeah what, what, what could it be since I'm 40 and I have many fewer options than I would have had at 30. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And that was the, Hey, yeah. you're never going to be 10 years younger, <laughs> but maybe you could still do this. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. Right. But yeah. I like that excitement and encouragement and being like, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Um, so one of the themes I talk about often with people in my job is calling partly because it fascinates me, but also um, I think it's a lifelong journey too to figure it out and it, it obviously changes. Yeah. But um, 
Dr. Danny Roman Gloro on our Florida Denim campus said something to me um, in a previous conversation. And what he said I found very interesting because he gave me his personal mission statement. And he said, but I, for me, it doesn't matter where I'm doing this, mm. if that makes sense. So I guess I'm wondering, it's just so long as I'm, his personal mission statement was to equip men and women for the kingdom. Yeah. He said, so I think it's important to have an overarching calling that doesn't that doesn't matter where you are. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing so I'm wondering I'm wondering what you think about that like because what you're doing is going to change. So would oh, yeah. you say that your calling has changed too? See, so all the way through I I think one of the more important things to say is I just I don't know. I don't know that calling must or should be expected to be static. Oh yeah. That um, just because you named or perceived or were certain of calling when you were nineteen, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that when you're fifty, that is still the the exact thing. Mm-hmm. And and even so, so to say it in a few ways. I think geography does matter a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there are some people like Eugene Peterson talks about a certain calling to place and particular community. And, and I think for some people like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it may be most helpful to just constantly carry not the, um, not anything that would keep us anxious or frenetically searching for like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. But constantly carry the question of what now God mm-hmm. and, and now God might be keep on going and it might also be something entirely different. And I'll, I'll say this one last thing. Yeah. So I talked I talked to someone about pastoral ministry who named that moment when he was 15 and he was at one of those youth conferences and they have people come up front and it's this moment of naming that you're called into ministry Mm -hmm. and everyone Mm -hmm. celebrates it and there's all sorts of emotion going on and it's hard to distinguish what, what is of God and what is because of that awesome song that we just sang and the heartfelt you know, sort of encouragement mm-hmm. to come to the front yes. now and to know that all of your friends are going to celebrate you. And, but so he names all of this and is saying, so here I am now though, you know, another few decades into life and wondering like how much of the past few decades have come out of just that moment and even feeling like there's no going back. Mm-hmm. I, I named that this is who I am and what my calling is and I can't do anything different. And just this, like, I, I can't, I can't change now. And even talking to him, there was a, because it was in this case, it was a questioning. I don't know that I'm supposed to be doing this. And for that matter, I don't even know. I don't know that I should have been doing it for a while now. Oh, wow. But I named it at this one point. Now I feel like I've got to go through with it. And all of that then to say, you know, I, I told him, 
I wonder if it would be worth you exploring leaving and, and still some fear. What if God really did call me to do this? Even mm-hmm. if I'm not enjoying it. And I said, I, I think it's probably rare for you to just be unhappy, yeah. but also if you just can't get a sense of relief, mm-hmm. uh, of release, don't make that based on 15 year old you. Make it based on you today. If you today cannot get a sense of release, mm-hmm. then I think we need to start thinking about this as calling for you today, yes. even if you don't want it to be. But don't base it on some commitment you made a long time ago at a Terry Youth Conference. Right. Right. And I think, I don't want um, Dr. Roman Glor to feel like I misrepresented <gasps> oh, him yeah, either. Yeah. No, no. Because I think he was saying something similar in that it changes. Mm-hmm. But my overall goal to equip people for the kingdom doesn't change. Right. Right. And I think that's what you're, what you're saying too. Like what I, what I do for my job might change, but the reason why I do it doesn't change. Yeah. There's, there's something, I mean, we are all created both uniquely and created in the image of God. And when that uniqueness and the image of God both come to the full. Well, first of all, it doesn't look like the same thing day to day, week to week, year Mm -hmm. to year. Mm -hmm. It can change, but there is a certain way that you're designed that is maybe the God's best gift in, in our world and best use of you. But that doesn't mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it has to mean naming something and assuming that it, it will always stay the same. Yeah. I would imagine though, that there were some fears and anxieties and just different thoughts that you had to overcome to do this. Could you, could you share? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was no anxiety for you, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but would you talk to us a little bit about the fears that you faced to kind of, to make this transition and how you overcame the anxiety to actually submit your application, actually do yeah. this. Greatest fear was constantly looking around and saying, everything is really good. Yeah. Except pandemic and it'll go away. Yes. But all the rest is really good. Mm-hmm. And do we really walk away from really good? Because actually, so, um, Rick Patino. Yes. You may may know of him. Yes, I I do know of him. I have mixed feelings. (laughs) Okay. So Rick Patino, when he left UK basketball, um, they asked, he he talked about it as, he actually talked about it as Camelot. He said, this is that just perfect place. And so naturally they say, so why are you leaving? Mm -hmm. He said, I just, I feel like it's time for a new challenge. And he has since been quoted numerous times mm-hmm. saying that was the biggest mistake of his life. Yes. Was yes. leaving you was leaving Camelot. And probably as a Kentucky fan, I would agree that I would do <laughs> kind of wish he would have stayed. Yeah. And so that quote haunted me mm-hmm. for a decent while. Mm-hmm. Just the hey, what if we're leaving Camelot? Everything is really good. And what if we screw it all up now? And especially knowing this is going to be hard on the kids. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard on our families. It's going to be hard on us because I mean, we love things here. Yes. So that, that's the great fear. And I think 
that you, you still do it just with the trust that this is something we recognized in our, uh, second, our nearly second trip to Spain. We talked about how everything fell into place so well that first time mm-hmm. we should have created all sorts of, uh, trust going mm-hmm. into the second. Like, yeah. God has provided things, things worked out. And instead, um, everything we looked at, we were like, there's no way it could work out that well again. Mm-hmm. And so instead of increased trust, there was decreased trust and surely it can't be that good again. So we shouldn't do anything crazy yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> we right? need to kind of maybe slow our roll a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like we've, we've used up all of God's provision at this point, you uh, know, yeah. I mean, and we would have never said that, right, right. but it's kind of the way that we were approaching it. And so I, I think with anything like this to say, if we have some sense that this is the next right move, hard though it might be, we've got to go into it trusting the provision still going to be there. God's still going to provide mm-hmm. and it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one thing I'm learning is you can't mess it up because that's my, one of my <laughs> biggest fears too. And you can't mess it up. So I really appreciate hearing you say that too. And yeah. So, and Yale, that is a super big deal. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Cause you're not just going to law school. You're going to Yale. Like, that's a big deal. What was it like to get accepted? Oh my gosh. To, to Yale. So Yale had become the dream. Okay. I mean, I, so just to give you a, a small picture of how this all worked for me, um, it was the week of Thanksgiving. So my birthday's mid November. I told you that's when I'm doing the career assessments. Uh-huh. <laughs> week of, uh, Thanksgiving is when I learn, and I've thought that I stumbled upon this information, but that can't be right. I must've sought it out. I learned that all of the top law schools now, except the GRE, which I was already studying for. Cause I was thinking about doing some PhD work on the side. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I could, uh, I could apply to one of these. And, um, so I know nothing about any of the law schools at this point. Mm -hmm. And, and at this point I also, I'm reading Reddit forums, which I would not recommend to (laughs) people that are basically telling me if you have not already applied this cycle, you are too late. There's Mm -hmm. no chance. And here I am. I haven't even, this is the first time thinking about it. And so I'm way too late. And, um, I start researching these schools and as I'm reading, Everything I read about Yale, I was like, these are my people. Mm -hmm. I even said to Emily, I said, these are my people. I have to find some way to convince them that I'm their kind of people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I didn't think there was any Mm -hmm. actual chance. Um, And so it built up as this dream in my mind that couldn't possibly be reality. Like the the morning, so I had an, uh, an interview with another really good school and that morning I was researching Yale's admissions process. I was like, Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm not even like prepping for this interview. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm researching (laughs) Yale. And so all that to say, Mm -hmm. when that phone call came, um, she says, hi, uh, I'm calling from Yale law school. How are you doing today? I said, Oh my, I am, trusting that you don't make phone calls to give bad news. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I, if I had to call all of our applicants to tell them that they had not gotten into Yale, I'd have the worst job in the world. I'm, I'm not calling with bad news. Um, 
you're accepted. And so I held it together then, but I, a lot of the details of that conversation are pretty fuzzy in my mind now. Um, and she did, she said in that conversation, you know, um, I have a colleague who says that the law just sh- shouldn't just be a job. It should be a calling. Mm-hmm. She said, I got this sense from your application that this was about calling. Uh, so, I mean, to hear that around church world and seminary world mm-hmm. is normal, right? is normal. And I get it. And I think it's still something to talk about and celebrate to hear it from the Dean of a secular law school mm-hmm. was just shocking and a huge affirmation. Oh my goodness. Uh, maybe as much as being accepted too, like those words. Oh yeah. Th- those words in particular, mm-hmm. this, um, I got this sense and I know you didn't say it. And I almost like, because I held back at some points, I was like, I want to tell them a bit more, but I also feel like I, I should not get into over spiritualized language in this application or it's going to tank it. Mm-hmm. And for her to name it all instead, it was just incredible. Yeah. yeah. That is a beautiful thing. And very affirming. Yeah. yeah. So why why law? I don't think we covered that yet. <laughs> well, I mentioned some about just the uh, the exposure to people mm-hmm. in government work, and right. and w- so for me, law is really hopefully, probably I think right now working in in public service in some way. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's recognizing the opportunities um, to work to improve people's opportunities, access to resources, Mm -hmm. compassion, justice, advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then the, the way that the law works, it, um, there's something about it that, uh, I'm attracted to that. Mm -hmm. That's the whole, like reading Supreme court opinions and dissenting opinions. There, there's something about the way that it works. That's fascinating to me Mm -hmm. and both that I'm fascinated by it and that it seems like a work that can, have a significant impact on people's lives. Mm-hmm. For sure. um, that's the draw. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. How will you see your legal work differently because of your ministry experience? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so I wrote, we, they have a diversity statement on these uh-huh. applications and I wrote mine about being a pastor for 20 years and just said, you know, uh, I have, when I started in pastoral ministry, I was not very interested in the people side of it. I was interested in preaching, teaching, leading, even administrating, but not people stuff. And it's been the sitting across a room, across a table from someone and, um, and being across from them during a time of crisis, some of their hardest times. Um, those have been some of the most formative times for me and important and ending up really grateful. Those are the honors. Mm -hmm. Those are the greatest honors Mm -hmm. is that someone will sit and trust me with some of those times. And so, you know, I I talked with someone yesterday who said, you are still going to be a pastor. (laughs) You you won't be licensed or ordained to administer the sacraments, but you're going to be a pastor to a lot of people. And you're going to have a lot of opportunities to talk to people in the midst of crisis mm-hmm. and hardship. And, uh, and you know how people are during those times. Yeah. And so I, that's, that's what I said in my diversity statement is that 
um, having sat with people during some of those times, mm-hmm. I think, I hope, will be something I can really contribute and add uh, yeah. in the legal profession and to my law school class. Yeah, to go be useful. Like, yeah. Because that's one of the things that you... Yeah. I do think about that conversation a lot. So. <laughs> um, but one of the things I also know, and different people have mentioned it to me lately, is that in seasons of transition, it makes it makes the middle places of our lives. It makes space for God to move or us to recognize um, God's movement in our mm. lives in ways that when we're on a path and we feel like that path is straight, that we might not recognize it. So I'm curious what you've learned about God in this, or are learning in this middle place that you, that you are in right now. Cause you're, you're finishing one place, you're moving, you're starting something new. What have you, or are you learning about God that you didn't know in 2019 or early 2020 when this all started? Yeah. Oh gosh. In, I don't think I should say learning as if this wasn't there and now is, but um, trust, trusting that things are God's and not mine mm-hmm. all the way through, um, leaving a church that I, I mean, it, it, this community, it does feel like my other child. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this community. Yeah. And now I'm needing to let go and, and trust that God's work continues in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it, it's never been about my power, um, but even to have to fully let go now and trust. Um, yeah. To, uh, trusting. Yeah. I actually, I finally got a spiritual director back, back last fall. Um, Al Gwynn, um, he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. You may have talked to him for this at some point. I don't know. I don't know that I have, but okay. I know his, I know his name. Well, so Bishop Gwynn actually, he hired me at first church many moons ago, mm-hmm. uh, when I started, uh, and then he was elected Bishop maybe a month after I had been there. So I spent all <laughs> of a month with him, but have continued to really respect him and he had come and spoken to a group about, and, and so much of what he talked about was spiritual direction in his life mm-hmm. and someone who had always been so, um, impressive, buttoned up, like took care of everything just right. But th- then the other side of him that I've seen even more now in, in his retirement, I think it had always been there. I just didn't get to see it quite as much is this person who just, uh, has a deep prayer life, this incredibly deep faith, and sees the movement of God in just in, in nearly everything. And, mm-hmm. and so he spoke to this group, and I was like, I, I want this. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him about spiritual direction, and he's just been guiding me through this process of both celebrating mm-hmm. um how my identity has been connected to pastoral pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and also this, but this is not your identity before God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's, I mean, I can answer the test question right on that. I could have answered the test question on that right five years ago. But it's a different thing to answer it right with my heart. Yes. This is not my identity before God. Um, And so him just just gently guiding me through, yeah, what, what is, how do you stand before God? And what of that changes now and what stays the same? Yeah. Those are those are good those are great questions. And mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Teddy Ray, we have one question that we ask everybody before we wrap up the um, show. Uh, but before we do that, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't already covered? No, I enjoyed this. Thank you. It's, uh, you talked when we met a few years ago about this great fear of ending up on plan B. Yes. And see, so you've come all the way around on that. Just saying earlier here, ah, that's, that's no longer a fear. I'm no longer worried that I could screw up God's plan here. Yes. Yes. I don't have that much power. Yeah. You know, like, right. Yeah. So that's just a, I mean, that's a significant move in trust. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. just to celebrate that. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Cause I hadn't really realized that that much had changed. Yeah. Even I've realized it had changed for you. I hadn't realized how much had changed for me. Cause it seemed kind of like a smaller thing. Yeah. But yeah. it's a huge deal thing. It is a yeah, huge it, thing. It, yeah. You carry yourself differently. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, thank you for that, those kind words. I really appreciate them. Yeah. Um, the one quest, question that we ask everyone is, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? It can be anything. Gratitude. And this may be the same one that I shared with you. I don't, I don't it recall. It wasn't because I re-listened. No. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't. I'm kind of interested in what I said then. but uh, It was seven. Uh, okay, that was my number two for this time. <laughs> uh, but gratitude in um, when we went to Spain the first time, mm-hmm. uh, they they gave us this acronym RAFT: reconciliation, affirmation, farewell, and think ahead. That I mean, I'm usually not a big fan of simplistic acronyms, things of that nature. But it was it was so good for us, and especially the affirmations that I started and then continued for about six months into that year in a really intentional way. And I had started saying, you know, any I think we should have some prompt toward those things, even if we're not moving, if we're not doing something different. Um, but now I have the grace of having a direct prompt again. And so I've just started in the last couple of weeks writing a whole lot of thank you notes mm, again. Yeah. And gratitude in a process of grief even mm-hmm. is helping to reorient some of that to, hey, this has been really good. And rather than just being upset about leaving it, I'm going to be so grateful that I've had it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. grateful that I've had these people in my life. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Teddy Ray, for being on the podcast today, for sharing about your journey. It's been an absolute delight. This hour has gone by so fast. Oh, yeah. I feel like we could just keep talking, yeah. but thank you so very much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Teddy Ray. I really appreciate Teddy taking the time to share with us today. There's a lot to take away from today's conversation. For me, it was 
the thought, the, the learning around being able to step out in faith, even when what you have is really, really good. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well, and be sure to let Teddy Ray know how much you appreciated it. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive. <laughs>